0: Okay, we probably need to start wrapping this up, but I want to talk about actual theories of AGI and, and kind of what uh, our guests are working on as far as their own personal theories and where they're trying to take their research into AGI. So maybe Ella, can let's start with you. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I
1: call sort of my thoughts on um, AGI CTP theory. Um, and I think I said at the start of the podcast, that is um, an acronym that sort of used to make sense, but um, the theory has changed a bit and it doesn't really make sense anymore. But uh, the um, the basic idea of CTV theory is that it provides a way of representing ideas computationally, um, and it uh, does so in a way that allows um, the mind to uh, compute the consequences of an idea, which I think is very important. And it also allows the mind to determine when two ideas are contradictory. Um, and so I think that that is, um, Something that any uh, AGI algorithm is going to have to do, because that is sort of um, that right there is kind of the heart of critical rationalist epistemology in my view, um, sort of being able to explore the consequences of ideas, the logical consequences, and searching for um, contradictions uh, problems between those ideas and so that's the the basic um, that's the basic framework that CTP theory um, uh, allows for, and it also um, has some stuff to say about how um, you know once a problem has been identified, how it could be solved. Though that's, um, that's sort of the more active area of research. I think that there are some um, you know missing details and some errors in my current um, way of thinking about how the program would actually go about solving problems. And so that's kind of my current area of research in CTP
2: theory. Thank you. Any progress in that vein?
1: Yes, so I should have a new um, article coming out relatively soon. I sort of introduced um, the idea of the article a while ago which is that um, I think that what CTP theory is lacking in some sense is uh, a, an, the ability to have, to represent sort of desires in the mind. And desire is the term that I used when describing this uh, you know, idea a while ago, but I've sort of realized that that might be, um, might have too many anthropomorph- anthropomorphic um, sort of implications. And I'm now thinking of them more as requirements in the sense that CTP theory right now can find contradictions between ideas and in order to resolve a contradiction between an idea and another idea, you could just remove one of the ideas, right? That'd be a very simple way to solve a problem, just get rid of one of the problematic ideas. But if that's all there is to it, then the, the way the mind works would just be completely trivial and a system like that certainly wouldn't be um, generally intelligent. And so, uh, but uh, according to sort of the basic CTP theory, that's, um, that's the only thing that's fully described is sort of a reason to get rid of ideas. And the idea of the requirement system is that it will hopefully provide a way, um, a reason, a force um, that makes the mind want to keep ideas around. And so I'm hoping that uh, between sort of the, the, the desire to have, you know, to ha- not have any contradictions, but also the desire to have sort of requirements be fulfilled, which is the, the basic idea of the requirement system that I'm currently working on. I'm hoping that those two forces will be able to balance each other out and sort of um, be what would be necessary for the more sophisticated cognition that you would see in a true AGI.
0: Right. Thank you. Dennis, why don't you explain about your own, your your book and your own thoughts on AGI at this point?
2: Sure. Well, the book generally is, is basically one of the underlying themes is that we need to perform a sort of unification of software engineering and philosophy, because I think there are many problems in both fields that we are going to have a hard time solving unless we perform such unification. And AGI is just one of them, but it is the the one that I'm most interested in by far. These, the specific theory that I'm currently entertaining is that um, at some point in our evolution, um, something occurred which must have been, I think, very similar to the origin of life on Earth. And the reason I think that is because although there are, uh, I should paraphr- or I should uh, say from the start that there are differences between genetic knowledge and human knowledge. I still think that the the, uh, the mechanisms by which they are created and change are the same. And that is, and this goes back to Popper, who discovered that there's a very tight analogy between evolution of genes and evolution of human knowledge, because both are about evolution in the broad sense. If we think of evolution as being a theory about abstract replicators that mutate and that are selected. So... To illustrate what I mean, to illustrate what I think happens in a mind right around birth is um, what I think uh, one of the theories of how life on Earth got started is basically, you know, billions of years ago when the planet was still forming um, and the oceans had just cooled down enough, they were highly active chemically and their molecules were forming spontaneously all over the place. And there were some molecules that acted as catalysts. And a catalyst is just something in in chemistry that can cause a net change somewhere without undergoing any change itself. So then it can can perform that change again and again. And it just so happened that some of these catalysts created components, molecular components of which they themselves were made. So they were floating in the water and they created this in the primordial, primordial soup, as it were, and they created these components of which they themselves were made and if, through lucky circumstances, some of these components rearranged and created ever, ever more of the same components, then over time, if this process gets more targeted, you get, you, it gets targeted enough that you can speak of replication. And so the, that's how the first replicators came on the scene. And I, and I think uh, replication is really the key ingredient of uh, evolution. It's one of the three key ingredients, replication, mutation, and selection, uh, or variation. Uh, instead of mutation. And basically what happened from that that point on, these were targeted enough to be considered replicators. They they instantiated more molecules of the same kind, and occasionally they make mistakes when they do this. So what you get is you get pockets of the population that look a little bit different from the original. And then once you get this top-down force, so to speak, acting on this pool of replicators, that's when you have natural selection happening. And that's how you get this Appearance of design, that's when it comes on the scene. It, it looks like it is purpose driven, even though it is not. Um, and so you get, at that point, you can really speak of these replicators um, encoding knowledge in the sense that they are adapted to replicating. And sometimes, in order to replicate, they then incorporate knowledge about their environment. And sometimes, like David Deutsch points out, they are such good replicators that they even incorporate approximations to the laws of physics and aerodynamics, for example, where a bird knows how to fly. Now, the reason I I say all this is because I think something very similar happens, like I said, in a human mind right around birth. And that is, I think, when a a baby is born, or maybe it still happens in the womb, at some point, the brain is more or less fully formed, but it, it is fully formed in the sense that it is a universal computer. And Babies are born, just like all organisms, with inborn knowledge. And so they will contain ideas about how to, uh, let's say, breathe, how to chew with their gums, you know, that that sort of stuff. And I'm not actually sure if these are a true examples, but, but they, they will have some inborn knowledge, um, just like animals do. You know, a, a puppy will have inborn knowledge of how to walk, how to bark, all these sorts of things. But there comes a point, where I think one of these ideas that people are born with begins to replicate. It creates some of the building blocks of which it itself is made. And um, once this starts happening, basically the same thing that happened in the primordial soup happens, but it happens in a computer that is the brain. And so over time, because uh, as this idea replicates, it makes mistakes, it then morphs, it, it changes into different ideas. And that is, I think, how we explain how it is that people come up with ideas that aren't genetically encoded. So I think that creativity as a program, intelligence as a program, is fully genetically given. So I I differ here from David Deutsch, for example, who says that it's partly mimetic. Um, I think it is fully genetically encoded. But no particular piece of knowledge that is created is genetically encoded. So that also means that, for example, evolutionary psychology, which Bruce, you and I have and others have spoken about, I think is not correct. I think it's not true. Um, There are some inborn ideas that may determine or inform, I should say, our behavior, but they can easily be overwritten. Basically, what's missing from this theory is it still doesn't explain, for example, what consciousness is. I think any good explanation of AGI will contain an explanation of consciousness because it seems that there are good explanations that I think suggest that a universal explainer is automatically conscious. Like that ability just kind of comes along for the ride, but it might be hard to build an AGI without a good explanation of what that is. Now it might be the case that you could simply focus on the evolutionary part and simply build this sort of idea pool with self-replicating ideas that then change over time. So for evolution to take its course but I have an inkling that there's there, there's something missing there. There must be another component to this. I've, I sort of write about this and I, I uh, talk of it as the meta algorithm that exerts selection pressure on it, on the evolving idea pool. But yeah, that is sort of the thing that I'm working on now is and thinking about now is what is the what are the missing pieces of the theory, so that you could actually build the thing.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting that Ellis' theory basically starts with preparing epistemology and tries to this is my take, so feel free to disagree, Ella. But mm-hmm. uh, tries to to take that into an algorithm. How do I how do I instantiate preparing epistemology into an algorithm? And Dennis is really starting with, uh, or at least this, again, this is my take. Feel free to disagree, Dennis. Starting with uh, neo Darwinism, with with how did evolution work, and how could that be um, used to explain the creation of ideas? So uh, now, obviously, there's a tight tie between preparing epistemology and uh, neo-Darwinism. But it is interesting how it seems like each of those is kind of the starting point for each of your theories. Is that fair or am I kind of reading too much in? I think that that's a fair description. Um, I, I can't speak for Dennis, but that sounds
1: fair to me.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm obviously hugely inspired by Popper. Uh, much of the epistemology that I lay out in the book is, is inspired by him. But yeah, I do think Popper's epistemology misses the notion of a replicator. I think Ella disagrees with this, but uh, I, I think that replication is a crucial ingredient of evolution. And I, I'm I don't really know why Popper didn't write about this. I haven't read all this, but maybe he did, and I just missed it. But yeah, I, I think this idea that there is replication going on in the mind is crucial to understanding how the mind works. And it also allows us to explain other things that are seemingly unrelated, like memory, so-called neuroplasticity, and so forth. So um, the theory has some reach to explain more things.
1: Thank you. And yeah, uh, so go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, Dennis and I definitely, uh, probably the biggest disagreement between Dennis and I I is that, um, as Dennis said, he sees uh, replication as being sort of essential to knowledge creation, broadly speaking, whereas, um, as I explained earlier, I um, sort of take the view of uh, Donald Campbell, and that I think any process of blind variation and selective retention um, has the potential to create knowledge. Now, the neo-Darwinian process of having replicators, you know, competing for dominance in a population, that's that's certainly one kind of wine variation and selective retention, but I don't think it's the only kind. And I, I don't think it's the kind that fits best with what we know from Paparian epistemology. And so a process in which there are no replicators, ideas don't create copies of themselves, but they simply um, exist and the implications of them are explored and compared to other ideas. Um, and you look for conflicts between them, that is sort of a, uh, a system which involves blind variation and selective retention, and thus could create knowledge uh, in theory, um, which I think has uh, much more in common with uh, Popper and Deutsch's um, description of how knowledge is created. And so that's sort of, uh, that. I think that's the biggest disagreement between Venice and I right now.
2: Thank yeah, you. and I, sh- I should also, I think that's true. And I should also add that it's very possible that Popper entertained the idea and, and rejected it that he just didn't think it was worthwhile or didn't think there was much to the idea. I shouldn't just assume that he didn't think of it, but yeah, I think you, you summarize the, the differences between our theories nicely.
0: Thank you. And then Um I don't think you have necessarily an AGI theory, but you've been researching into related areas. Maybe just talk about anything that you're, you're currently researching. And in particular, I'm hoping you will bring up algorithmic evolution, which you and I have talked about and, you uh, even gave me a paper you were very excited about recently,
3: right? So, so there are like uh, some small ideas I I'm trying to think about. But actually, let let me get to the core thing. And, <laughs> and okay. I, I I I actually think that um, one of the most important thing I, I really want to understand is is that I I feel that I don't really understand uh, popperian and and Deutchian enough in the following sense that I cannot understand many concepts of their work in the sense that I can, I don't know how to program it. Right. Like uh, there are so many concepts like the problem in the sense of uh, conflicting between ideas, uh, like the conflict between ideas and uh, to solve a problem, which means to give good explanation, not just explanation, but good explanation and uh, how to compare between bad and good explanation if you want to program this thing? Uh, what does it mean to, to, to decide which one is a good one, which one is bad? Like, what program this, if there is some, some perfect program for designing this, what would that pro- pro- program look like? So, I, the point is, I, I, I think we can try to maybe make it more, make this concept more mathematical. Make it very precise, and then see if it still fit with, with the concept that Deutsch and and Popper still want wanted to to mean. And then uh, to compare them. And like once it is once it, once they are very precise and and mathematical, then then you know exactly how to how to make it as a program, uh, computer program. And um, so I want to do that kind of thing, and like basically say let's say like once i have this definition of program uh, um, very precisely then we can try to prove theorem about it right right like uh, if universal explainer can really exist with respect to this definition and then once we have this set precisely the next step i would like to do is maybe to to compare it with uh, the 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 main framework of of evolution in theory that people look at like a like uh variant uh leslie valiant uh evolution that is related to pack learning that that, that we say that is not universal at all i want to prove that their framework is just a limited limited uh process with with respect to the popular framework once it once we make it uh, mathematics uh w- mathematical or like, uh, like to set up the the, f- the current genetic algorithm right now. Um, wh- why it what in what precise sense why it is not universal yet? I, I really want to understand this kind of limitation and, and make it make the make the Deutsch and Popper theory right now be more precise and uh, uh, programmable. <laughs> Uh, That's the thing, I think.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, actually, I I have similar aspirations as you uh, on that. I, I would actually like to see a lot of these ideas more programmable. Deutsch does talk about how you don't really understand an idea until you can program it in a computer. And I definitely think that's a limitation of a lot of the ways we think about both biological evolution and preparing epistemology today is that a lot of the ideas are, we kind of intuitively understand them, but... We don't understand them so well that they can be easily programmed. Is that kind of yeah. what? Yeah. I, yeah. So I kind of feel
3: that, uh, like, uh, try to understand the theory itself right now is still, it's maybe a bit fr- fruitful. Uh, yeah. Instead of, I mean, trying to build the AGI right now is, is actually quite, it's already, already nice. But I think we can try to t- understand the theory, the Popperian theory itself as well. That's, that's another direction, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I, I just um, wanted to echo, like, uh, I'm I kind of right on the same page with um, you and uh, mm-hmm. Tachapal and Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, it's something that I've been writing about in my new article is this idea that really any um, theory of AGI is implicitly going to be um, a theory of epistemology, right? And it's a- mm-hmm. in the sense that it's saying, you know, this uh, program would be able to create knowledge Right. And any theory of epistemology is at least implicitly a partial theory of AGI in the sense that it says, well, an AGI would have to work like this in order to be able to create knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so what we're the the current um, sort of task of AGI, if you're starting from Paparian epistemology, is to try to nail down the details of Paparian epistemology and make it programmable. Right now okay. we have, you know, good descriptions at a high level. We kind of have, um, you know, a, a lot of good explanations of um, you know, what it should look like at a high level and some low level details, but um, the, what we need to be doing right now, and this is sort of what I'm trying to do with CTP theory, is nail down a lot of the details about uh, Paparian and Deutchian epistemology, which aren't yet specified. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, um, I'm sure we're short on time, but just uh, briefly, Paul, you mentioned that uh, you don't um, really see a way to make the notion of a problem, a conflict between ideas, um, sort of computable. You don't know how to program that. And I, I agree that that's um, a very central thing that needs to be programmed. But I actually think that um, CTP theory, what I'm working on, has a, a pretty good solution to that. That's something that uh. I think um, is, is solved pretty nicely by the theory right now. The theory doesn't solve everything, but I think that um, problem specifically um, is quite well understood in CTP theory. And uh, briefly, the, the, the way that uh, CTP theory views this is that, so the mind has a set of ideas. You could call it the idea pool, um, to steal a term from Dennis. Um, And basically, uh, the mind has a built-in way of detecting a direct contradiction between two ideas, which is to say that just by, you know, the the computational form of um, the ideas themselves, um, the mind has a rule that says, okay, this idea directly contradicts this other idea. But importantly, and the reason why the system isn't just trivial, is that a direct contradiction isn't the only kind of contradiction. So it might be that, you know, um, an idea A has a consequence idea B, Um, And then that idea B uh, contradicts something else in the mind. And in that case, idea A would also be implicated in that contradiction because it's what led to B existing in the first place. And so in that sense, you could say that A is sort of an indirect contradiction or it's Mm -hmm. in indirect contradiction with something else. And so that's sort of a brief um, look into how CTP theory views um, contradiction in the mind and how it could be expressed in a
0: computational format. I actually wanted to explain one thing Thatcher brought up yes. that, that maybe not everybody would understand. He mentioned Leslie Valiant, and he mentioned a couple times PAC learning. So PAC stands for probably approximately correct. And it's the basis, it's the theory, theoretical basis for everything that's in machine learning today. And um, Leslie Valiant also, though, in his book Probably Approximately Correct, he raised the fact that just like Ella is talking about and, and Tatrapole is talking about, that we don't. We don't really know entirely how to pin down Popperian epistemology uh, into an algorithm. He points out that we also don't know how to pin down biological evolution into an algorithm, or that's his claim in any case. And so, algorithmic evolution is the study of how to try to pin that down into an algorithm. And Tatrapole, um, he sent me a paper recently that made some interesting advances in that area. And unfortunately, a lot of it went over my head. And I, I would like some like to ask questions about it, not on the podcast, but just separately to ask questions about it. But uh, it's kind of a related study that's just as you can try to study how do we make pop, Popper's ideas more computable, you can also study how do we make uh, evolution, theory of evolution more computable. Um, and how do you come up specifically what Leslie's, Valiant's looking for is how do you make a one an an, an algorithm that is tractable because obviously the process has to be tractable for it to work where it actually comes up with the the new adaptions in a manual obviously over billions of years but uh we would consider that tractable in this case so and i'm actually very fascinated with a lot of your ideas on this thatchable i i would really like it if you would share more ideas okay, on what you're going sure. with
3: this. I, I can, I can talk a bit, uh, if if you, if you want, uh, so right now, Leslie Valiant actually formalized some, some notion of evolution and it goes like this. It's a process that, uh, kind of just in each step, uh, you, you rep- replicate, uh, yourself into variation and then, uh, into many copies of yourself, but uh, each of the variation may not have the same, the same uh, fitness. All right, and now um, the guy with a uh, good fitness, with good with better probability will be uh, survive for the next iteration, and uh, the process keep keeps going on like this, and he proved that with with this framework with this specific uh, algorithm there are many actually many types of function or, or theory that uh, this process can evolve to or can 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 converge to to solve some 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 explanation or to 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 get to that explanation but this class of explanation or or, or functions are actually so limited with 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 respect to, to to this algorithm, and why why is that I I kind of in high level idea that that I kind of say is that the reason for this is because the notion of fitness is fixed, so that is the selection process is just fixed to be something, Uh and it never change, and this is really, really different from from Popperian or Deutsch, uh not like a uh, or the way that, that we understand how, how knowledge uh pr- progress, right? Because for us, I, we we kind of see that it's very important that the selection process also evolve. That is that is we we have more and better and better way to, to select the, the variation of, of of your idea. And the, the new paper, the paper that I sent to Bruce actually have some of this flavor. It kind of says that, okay, it kind of studied this val- valiant evolution process, but it says that, okay, what if the way you select your your children or the the next the next generation of population the the selection process actually changed with respect to they call it the uh, ecology that is. The selection process is actually can depends on the, the current set of idea pool or, or whatever like but the set of population right now. If that selection process can depend on, on, on this, that is the selection process evolves in some sense. In the in the paper, the way the this selection process evolved is very limited limited. But anyway, this selection process evolve a bit, but he actually shows that. Just by allowing this, although his way of evolution of selection process is very, very limited, the class of theory that, that you can get to is significantly widened. widened. So, so this is very interesting uh, to me. Uh, it kind of, some people try to, to do something that is, that is formal, mathematical, and it has some flavor similar to popperian philosophy so yeah i i I like that paper yeah
0: thank you for that that explanation so basically he had come up with a way to use ecology to add that into the evolutionary process and that allowed it to actually explore uh more paths and to therefore solve certain types of problems that the previous leslie valiant approach to algorithmic evolution wasn't able to solve yeah so very fascinating paper the math is a struggle for me i need to probably read it a few more times and try to tease that out. But uh, yeah, it it was, it was a fascinating paper and I could see exactly why you were so interested in it. Um, All right. We've probably gone way over what we would normally do for a a podcast episode. So I just want to say thank you to our, our guests for uh, uh, coming and joining us. Uh, Maybe we can invite you guys back some other time for another episode, but uh, you've all been uh, wonderful and you've, you've you've, uh, shared great ideas and I really appreciate you coming. Thank you everybody. That was fun. Thank you. Yeah, it was great to be
1: here.
0: The Theory of Anything podcast could use your help. We have a small but loyal audience, and we'd like to get the word out about the podcast to others so others can enjoy it as well. To the best of our knowledge, we're the only podcast that covers all four strands of David Deutsch's philosophy as well as other interesting subjects. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. This can usually be done right inside your podcast player.